Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Zenway Podcast. I'm your host Zenway. In this podcast, I talk everything about life, tech, and career. I spent the last decade at the intersection of social sciences and technology. Uh, today, I have a really fun guest. Uh, so it's a personal friend of mine. His name is Joe Fan. Uh, I wanted to talk to him because of you know similar to a lot of the guests in the past. He's he's gone to do quite a few things uh, in his career, uh, but he graduated with something that you know we, we wouldn't expect uh, what he's doing today as well, right? Mm. <laughs> so you know, without further ado, I'm just gonna we're just gonna jump right in. You know, Joe Fan, uh, why not you introduce yourself to the audience really quickly? Cool. Um, hi, I'm Joe Fan. Uh, I was a law graduate, uh, but I ended up in the startup uh, world. I'm currently head of product of uh, Oyen Insurance, which is a digital uh, insurance um, setup basically where I, I, I work with the engineering team and we do apps. Yeah, and it's not just any, I guess, conventional insurance, it is actually pet insurance. That's right, right that's right. <laughs> yes, yes. So we'll talk a little bit more about OEN because I, I really love the name. Uh, and also, you know, perhaps a, a, a little bit about, you know, some interesting things you have uh, learned about the, the industry as well. Sure. So I think the first question is. Uh, you've mentioned that you're a law graduate and yep. since graduating, yep. uh, you've been an attachment student. Mm. But then what I saw on your profile was really you jumped right into a, the startup scene already, right? Yeah. Yeah, into can law, yeah. uh, you know, into a marketing role, no less. Yeah. Right? So tell us a little bit about what did you experience at that point of time on uh, you know, deciding on that path, you know, because there's so many different paths you could have taken as well. Right? That's true. So, yeah. I mean, it's actually at that point of time was not such a big transition for me as well because the, the, it was right after I did my CLP and it was waiting for results time and we had this idea with a bunch of friends, uh, some, I mean, much, much uh, and connections between connections and there was this idea where they wanted to do a legal tech startup mm. uh, which was called Can Law and uh, it's still legal. So it, uh, they wanted to find somebody with a legal background and also kind of like a, uh, interested of experience with the innovation side of things or just building things or pioneering things from yeah. scratch, right? Mm. So I had some experience there already in my uni life. So I thought, we thought we were all perfect fits to do this uh, and because the other two co-founders are not law people, they needed someone with a bit of a right. law background to come in as well. So uh, that's where it started. Can Law, the idea was basically a lawyer discovery platform. The idea really, the problem statement here is access to justice, which I'm very passionate about as well, because I have an NGO background mm. uh, in the human rights uh, kind of area and all that. And I felt that it's true right now, you cannot really find a lawyer in Malaysia uh, in a very easy sense. You can actually find burgers much easy, li easier than uh, if you find a lawyer. Uh, you can just go online, check a burger, look at the rating, and are, this is the one I'm going to. But for a lawyer, you need to ask a friend's friend, friend's friend. And most of the time, the guy is not even practicing in the area you're looking for in terms of your problem. Yeah. So that was a real problem, I think, uh, especially even for those that are, uh, I guess, are lower income and all that. Yeah. So I felt that the real uh, call to actually work on this project, and yes, so happened uh, it was a marketing role. I mean, to be honest, when you're an early stage startup with like three or four guys, uh, everyone has a main portfolio, but you do everything anyways, for sure. right? Yeah. So uh, for me, it was uh, natural to take up marketing because I was already, I do, I do a lot of comms in my, uh, my my student life and all that kind of stuff. As a as a law grad, I write a lot as well. So yeah. that was a natural, okay, yeah, you do the, the marketing thing. And that's where I started to go in marketing, pick up the skills from there. Goal was to solve the problem. So whatever it takes for me to learn, to, to, to run this, uh, I started being resourceful and learning these things up from scratch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, I think the problem of that, that you just described, right? Being able to find a lawyer, yeah. it's actually kind of harder than you finding a burger. I think it's still true today. Yeah, it is. My experience with dealing with lawyers are unfortunately not very differentiated, number one. Mm. Right? I really don't know what the difference is between mm. uh, a, a person A to the next person. Mm. Uh, it's always true, I guess, it's always very transactional. Yes, correct. And fingers crossed it will be transactional because it, maybe I got into trouble, that's why. Mm. <laughs> mm. Uh, you know, so that's, that's the kind of like, you know, stereotype that I have, right, when it comes to, uh, you, know, you know, different law firms. So it's, it's really interesting that uh, you, you guys wanted to solve that. Mm. Um, and, you know, I actually read quite a few articles that were published by Ken Law back right, then. Right, right, right. And it educated me on a lot of, I guess, different issues, yeah. right? So I was, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what else do you, what, what, are, what are some of the, I guess, experiences, unique experiences that you saw when you were trying to build this up, right? What was the response from the market, for example? Or what were mm. the challenges that, uh, you know, didn't allow Ken Law to, to, to continue or your journey in Ken Law to, to continue as well? Right, right. So I think the market picked it up really well. So we have two angles to it. Uh, we started off, what the articles you read was uh, from the Ken Law report. We watched basically mm. our 
editorial slash news arm of things. It started off really as more like a lead gen marketing yeah. kind of uh, platform to kind of put the brand out there. But mm. as we go, it organically became quite popular because yeah. uh, we kind of dumbed down a lot of legal issues, legal things into very simple methods uh, and raise awareness on a lot of all these things. And it kind of took a life of its own, right? Mm. So in the end, but at the end of the day, at the core of it, it still kind of adheres to our vision to open access to justice. Uh, access to justice involves accessing lawyers and also basically accessing knowledge about law in general. Mm. So it's still uh, coherent there and there's a separate business model there going on. Um, so the challenges for the lawyer discovery platform Actually, before I even go to challenges, the market picked up quite well. The people really, really liked it. Uh, we had an MVP that was a big semi-manual on the back end, but even then, people were already coming in asking for uh, quotations, recommendations of lawyers, or just uh, and and the lawyers, especially the younger side, the ones that have smaller firms or sole proprietors, uh, they really loved it. Uh, they, especially the younger ones because they're more tech savvy. Mm. So this is a great platform for them to get themselves out there and really just they're open to. Uh, using this innovation to connect with more customers. And in a way, we democratized how people find lawyers uh, and also legal uh, knowledge in that way. And that was, that was doing quite well. So there were traction on both ends. Uh, and, but the challenge came really when I guess we were not able to, for two, three years, get the regulatory um, Support. green light right. that we needed at right. the end of the day, uh, to, to do this. Um, because even though we, from the very beginning we did uh, ask, uh, because I have connections uh, in, in the, the, regu uh, the regulators, which is the Bar Council, we already tried to engage them and all that. But um, I guess the approach they took was a bit more old school. Uh, um, they, uh, unlike Bank Nagara, for example, that has a sandbox for fintech, mm. um, they don't actually actively want uh, have any platform to... Uh, facilitate innovation. Right. Uh, it's more like, okay, you do it, and based on our law, if you go against it, we will just sue you. And right. that's the approach they've taken, which is not wrong, it's legally correct, yeah. but I guess it doesn't create space for innovation in that sense. Mm. So, uh, yeah, we keep trying to engage, and uh, we didn't get much response officially, even right. though, I mean, there were a lot of uh, talks uh, on the personal side, but we didn't get any um, um, response officially until about two uh, years in, maybe. Mm -hmm. we, after we got a lot of traction, we were actually out there in the market, we are known, and then we received a cease and desist letter. Wow. And uh, basically, that's, they, they said what they were going to do. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we couldn't, I mean, the decision was like, yeah. it was tough to go up against a bunch of lawyers when you're a small startup. Yeah, right? it's true. Uh, and it became harder to run a business when you already have a label on you that uh, you have a letter, you're kind of like a banned organization or a banned oh. product, right? Uh, and it's hard to kind of maneuver in that industry even though you already make good traction uh, and, and mm. with people who actually really support the product, but they cannot really officially support you or be on board now because if not, they will be associated to a band organization yeah it's right? true because yeah. on the other side you're you're, you're i mean so you're, the the so-called supply side yes are lawyers themselves correct, right? correct correct and i'm curious for i guess for everyone else as well right what was the particular law that they say you were you were breaking is it that you cannot advertise or you know what was it that they say that was against the the current uh, or the legal framework then, basically right? there is a very widely drafted uh provision in the legal profession act which is the act that governs lawyers that says that you cannot as a, as a non-lawyer um, or person who's not qualified, uh, you cannot recommend or you cannot uh, procure legal services for other people. Right. Uh, and also there's a few others where it just basically bans advertisements and marketing for lawyers in general. Mm -hmm. So uh, if any, we were trying to kind of maneuver around those, what we call the publicity rules, mm. uh, which is banned. So right. uh, yeah, so they could use some of these to actually stop any businesses that are non-qualified, non-lawyers to right. conduct this so-called legal business. Even though the owner themselves are, are, are lawyers, or is it yeah. that you have to set the startup in startup up in such a way that it needs to be a law firm in order for it to be able to continue Technically, to Technically, yes, but if you do set yourself as a law firm, then, then you, you might reach the right. publicity I rules. See. So there is a chicken and egg situation here. I guess that's that's the issue we have been stuck with ever since then, even before that, right? Mm. Um, but I guess for us, the position was always that you can actually, as the regulator, interpret it differently. Ah. If you look at the Singapore uh, context, they ha have even stricter, uh, strictly worded uh, provisions for these things, but their law society decided to interpret it more widely mm. to allow for more space for innovation. Right. And it's just a choice of in policy decision for yeah. us. But they will tell you, of course, um, 
which is right, legally yeah. speaking as well, that, oh, if you want to do this, you need to change the law. I see. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it would be really interesting though, because, you know, like I, I can think of so many different situations where, you know, being able to pick so-called the best, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Being able to be informed about what we're choosing is, is so, you, you talk about access to justice, that, that will be, uh, you know, so much, so, so much more helpful. Yeah. So in Singapore, was there already a similar idea that has taken off? Or, yeah, 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 yeah. They have multiple uh, players in Singapore that does uh, such things at that point of time. And I think there's even more right now. Mm. I don't follow as much anymore, but even then it was already beginning to thrive. I see, right. So yeah. in terms of, you know, it's been a while since since you've uh, you you've left uh, mm. Ken Law. Is mm. it still the same now? What has changed? What have you seen? Are you more optimistic, pessimistic, or just unsure about the situation? I I mean, technically, nothing much has changed okay. uh, in terms of uh, um, players in the market, legal tech players that are around. I guess it remains a lot. Uh, Related, if there is any legal tech in the market, there's more to serve the law firms, their CRMs, their case management, automation. Their, mm. Yeah, people who want to automate uh, the the processes in the law firm. Even then, it's a quite a niche market to be very honest, because mm. there are just that many lawyers who are willing to spend or invest an amount to yeah. to to kind of digitize their practices. Right. So that's that remains uh, that kind of scene we have here in Malaysia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's really yeah. that's really interesting because you know having. Uh, a, a very heavily regulated uh, <laughs> uh, industry itself. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of lessons that you kind of needed to kind of, you, you mentioned maneuver yes. as well, right? Any, looking back, right, are mm. there any, uh, you know, hard learned lessons that you probably brought with you to your next venture, which yeah, is yeah, yeah. into a, probably a, a little bit more popular or, you know, to the layperson, which is DG and DGX, right? right, right telecommunications right. company. Yeah. Uh, any hard learned lessons that you brought into, you know, DG and DGX? Yeah, actually there is. I guess, uh, to be honest, I think in the, as a context as well, Ken Law was my first job, even though I was in the founding yeah. team, right? Mm -hmm. I was still a fresh grad. Mm. I just came out of being a student leader, a student activist, mm. and uh, have a bit of that, that kind of background, right? Yeah. And uh, even then, I have uh, different approaches to things. Uh, I mean, I had a phase during my student life that I was more of a student activist, and there was another point where I was in more of a student a politics kind of side of things. Uh, and I think when fresh out during Ken Law, uh, I took the approach of that I'm more used to, which was the activist side, right? And we are taught, even talking about civil um, or uh, human rights uh, movements, when you want to uh, push something, the government or the authorities are not, right. not listening, then you got to just make as much noise as possible yeah. and try to uh, change public opinion. Yeah. Uh, and so in that way, my natural response is that when during Ken Law was also taking the aggressive route too soon, I think. Yeah. I don't think it's a wrong step, just that strategically they needed, it needed to be more holistic. Mm. Um, but the thing is, um, business, activism, two different things. Yeah. Um, I could rally a lot of support or whatever, but at the end of the day, uh, young lawyers or people who are most impacted or who will benefit from this, paid salaries from there i guess uh, uh the older yeah. employers yeah. who are more Clients, i guess yeah. are um the the uh authorities of the day right so uh they couldn't do much even though they yes we really support you we think you should do mm. this we, we, we love what you're doing but i i can't push you any further if it, re it relates to my livelihood mm. to a certain way right yeah. um, those are those th that's my boss that's my regulators i can't offend them as well because i have my license that kind of thing so you have that kind of uh so we we so I went straight to the aggressive side of things and then realized that there was no momentum to push it and then it kind of like collapsed internally as well because you're doing this alone, mm. right? And even in activism and uh, as itself, that itself is not enough. You need other organizations, other momentums coming, other forces yeah. to to that you work together to complete a certain goal, yes. right? Like for example, Bursa, um, uh, you have the movement, but you also have people in parliament pushing for things, mm. politicians trying to become government, for example, to push your agenda. You need all these things, yep. not just one, yep. right? And I guess as a as a uh, amateur at that point of time, I just I was very focused on let's go aggressive, let's see what we can do here because there's nothing yeah. else we can do. And I yeah. guess that's the lesson I brought with me to DG as well in a way where okay, yes, probably I should grow up a bit now and kind of look at it more holistically. And now maybe I shift my mindset to another role that I used to play, which was maybe the political side. So while in the Ken Law. Uh, side, I've probably burned some bridges. Mm -hmm. uh, my my, and uh, when it, I started in DG, my second job, DGX, and all that, uh, I took an approach of building bridges a lot more, mm. right? So 
um, rather than burning them, uh, rather than resorting to burning them first, you should yeah. try to build as much as possible, yeah. right? And that probably will be more sustainable. Yeah. And it was perfect because I also got into a marketing role as well because mm. natural transition, I did marketing previously, I did digital marketing in DGX as well, and I got to expose myself to every business and every product that was in DGX and work with people with different, at the different levels of all these products, uh, learn what they do, help them solve their problems from a marketing sense, and I kind of be able to build a lot of, a bit build favor with these people, and that I would say probably helped kind of uh, move me uh, into different bigger responsibilities really quickly in a few short uh, amount of years. Yeah, so yeah. you kind of transform yourself uh, from, I guess in a, in a politics terms, from a, par from a uh, you know, parliament opposition into the party whip to, to no. across the aisle as well, right? Mm. To really just build bridges, it's like, hey, in a way, you know yes. what, we can, we, can, we can be, uh, we can we can work together on this and, and, and yeah, solve this yeah. solve this problem right in a way yes yeah. <laughs> but of course I also yeah. entered an um, uh, environment that is a lot less hostile to innovation yeah yeah for sure for sure yeah exactly yeah, yeah, I was yeah. I was gonna ask in terms yeah. of like uh, you know you 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 rightfully pointed out that uh, you know uh, kind of giving context to everybody that uh, you know you were in a marketing role and then I realized that you you went into product, uh, product yeah. development role right yeah, so yeah, from yeah. that angle uh, you had your hand in like what HR tech digital telephony which which I you know uh, my previous organization was was also a customer of oh really yeah yeah oh, nice, Omni nice. as right, well right Omni. Omni yeah 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 so it was really handy and you know how do you go, how, talk to us about that journey right you've mentioned around because you built so many bridges you were able to actually getting larger responsibilities mm. so how do you actually go from marketing to uh, I guess a product development role mm. um, I know that. I guess DGX try to embrace that, you know, startup kind of mentality, mm, you know, mm, like everybody uh, is trying different things to create the same, uh, create some impact. Mm. But exactly, it's still in a large organization at the end of the day. Yeah. So how do you went from, you know, marketing to a product development role? Do you need it to get some buy-in from people as well? Yeah, so I think kind of built on, I guess the question came up, how did I get from being a law grad and, and until this yeah. very point as well? Yeah, right? yeah, because, yeah, for sure. But for me, I think principally for me as a person, as a person uh, is, is, I love solving problems. Mm. Uh, and it doesn't matter what the problem is. Uh, and, and I think as I go, uh, people and my bosses see that. Like this guy, he can actually, if you give him a problem that's meaningful enough, and I really like meaningful problems that has high potential to make big impact, I will take a very short amount of time to try and understand everything as much as possible at, at around that area, figure it out and execute it. And I suppose my bosses or my, my managers at that point of time see that potential in me to just, okay, if you put me there, I can get it done and not many people can do that. Mm. I, I probably would also attribute this to my law background in terms of, because for me, it's not an issue. Uh, when you study law, people throw you a legal question. It might, you might be interested in criminal law, but this is, a, let's say, a family law question where we just apply the same principles in solving a different problem. Mm. So swapping around these things is uh, not an issue for me and I love doing it because I'm learning new things as I go and trying to solve a problem and learning at the same time. Right. That excites me a lot. Right. So uh, at that point of time, what happened in DG was, okay, I was doing marketing. I was, even when I was doing marketing and digital marketing, I was already doing a bit of product research here and all that kind yeah. of stuff when there's... Uh, uh, capacity for myself uh, and the, the bosses were giving me a separate project to work on already. So that was already beginning. Uh, and after one year of doing that, there was an opening uh, in this uh, alt HR, which was basically they needed a product lead or uh, uh, to lead the business side of um, this uh, HR super app that we were building. Mm. And uh, they felt that was a perfect fit to go in because that was where they started. They wanted to someone to come in and see how we can expand uh, the use cases of this HR app beyond just leaves or like uh, claims and that kind of stuff and see what we can do to make it an app that everyone can, uh, the, all the employees of a company can log in every day to just interact with their companies. Uh, mm. So I thought that was very, very interesting and fun as well. Uh, if you can help solve employees and companies issue to engage with their employees. Uh, and that, that was where I came in. Uh, and I did that for a whole year and learned out uh, road mapping, product management methodologies, uh, interacting with uh, engineers and uh, yeah, the whole Scrum Agile methodologies and also interacting with partners. Uh, I think there was one point I, I, I spoke to you as yeah, well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I see you were looking at expanding the product proposition. Yeah, right? yeah correct, yeah. correct. So yeah, I just, yeah. just learned a lot in that year. It was very exciting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 You know, I think the, it, it's really interesting because uh, 
it is such a kind of like broad spectrum, right? Yeah. Uh, that that you kind of kind of needed to cover. And I was wondering, uh, w- were there any, I guess you know, memorable experience that you you can remember from the all HR days or ah. you know, I guess DGX day as you start learning things? Or were there any unexpected stuff that you kind of picked it up along along the way? Unexpected? No, because I think I expect the unexpected. It's all new. It's all, <laughs> it's all new to me, yeah, and yeah. We, we are already in a very startup yeah. environment. You go in. Loving the fact that everything is unexpected, unexpected. and everything will change yeah. next week. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah that, sure. that's so that's not an issue for me. But mm. talking about how uh, interesting or complex problems that were solved, probably there's a few. Mm. Uh, one that I really liked in terms of uh, solving a problem was uh, our time tracking uh, feature that we launched at that point of time when we was related to our digi stores. You have so many digi stores all around Malaysia, mm. and at that point of time, people were clocking in and clock out. They actually still use the cards and the clock thing, yeah. uh, and uh, it was an administrative headache for not just the store managers, but the, even the HQ to keep track of who's in, who's yeah. out, who's working, who's not, how much to pay, yeah. uh, and that kind of thing. And it was at a state where you need to read the cards physically yourself. Yeah, yeah. so some, some manager need to come in and then look at the cards and then yeah. track it and all that. Oh so dear. we actually yeah. went in. Uh, I think that was interesting. I, I have my team go in, look at their process end-to-end. Mm-hmm which was super painful, understand it and then figure out how to solve it using technology, yeah. using all HR. Uh, that was also our basis of uh, our that, that uh, time tracking module that mm. we built that we felt was also scalable to other customers in the future as I well. See. So yeah, that was an interesting problem. We spent about two, three months studying it and then building the first MVP where mm. uh, we are able to basically now centrally track people's uh, clock in, clock out times and also make sure that uh, there is minimal amount of abuse that can happen. So we lock it to the store's Wi-Fi or the, or the, ju- uh, the geofencing around yeah. the area to yeah. make sure that as much as possible, right. uh, there's no abuse. But the thing about abuse on people who are probably more, um, uh, I guess, risk-averse <laughs> to technology would say, that, oh yeah, yeah, there will be all these other things. But to be honest, so does the traditional clock in, clock out. Yeah, for sure. So, so I mean... I could ask a friend minus, to punch it in for me, right? Correct, Nobody correct. So, so yeah. those were things we kind of uh, be able... To, we yeah. were able to kind of bulldoze through as well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, launch that. So that was a big impact one that I thought that was very interesting. But wow. another one that uh-huh. I had that was interesting, uh, that was no longer during my all Asia times. After I was moved to another role during the merger times. Uh, to figure out um, uh, how to allow third parties like e-wallets to connect to purchase DG products such as uh, reloads or mm. bills yeah. or whatever, that kind of stuff, right? And uh, previously, when a third party wants to connect to our system, it takes about 6 to 18 months wow. because of how all the bureaucracy, bureaucracy and the setup manually one by one and all that. And my yeah. role was to come in and see how we can build a single API that already pre-connects to everything else and people can test within mm. seconds and integrate within three yeah. months. And the three months were mostly on the legal contract side of things. The technical side should not take mm. any longer than that. And we pulled that off within six months and we connected three of the biggest e-wallets in Malaysia. Oh, so that was, that was really fun and very interesting wow. for me to look at. Because my first exposure in the back-end API side of things as well, and that mm. was fascinating. But the impact was also massive. So that was very fascinating. Wow, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, really yeah. crazy because you, you, you're literally looking at yeah. Getting deeper, deeper into the technical aspects correct, as correct, well, right? Correct, and I, correct. I'm pretty sure, you know, as a, as a fellow geek as well, that mm. that must be really, really interesting to kind correct. of really just solve those those kind of problems. So that's why it's the problems that fascinate me. It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. <laughs> On that. Yeah. You know, I you know I wanted to kind of also ask your perspective as well. I you know I interviewed one of my friends who 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 uh, who, who is a product manager as well. Yeah. So I wanted to also get your perspective. You're the yeah. second product manager. Oh, nice. Right. I wanted to ask you. Explain what does a product manager do in simple mm. terms, right? And you know, for those who are a little bit more, I guess, savvy, you know, are the memes true? Ah, oh, the memes. <laughs> I love the memes. <laughs> They're really good. So first of all, what does a product manager do? If you you ask ten yeah. product managers, they give you ten different answers. Yeah. So what's your version? Um, I think product manager. My version, the way I would explain it, right, is um. Yeah, so it ranges. So you can be a pro- It depends on your organization as well mm. and how it's structured. Right. Some engineering teams are more mature, some are less. So mm. depending on the size of the team, you might be more technically uh, inclined, inclined yeah. or you might be more high-level inclined. It really depends. Mm. But the way I see the constant between all this is that, uh, again, back to my uh, previous point, right? I think, I think uh, the, also the reason why I think I thrive in the product uh, realm is that it is a political role. Mm. Uh, it is about um, uh, basically getting consensus on many different parties, making sure mm. everyone is happy with 
uh, whatever the direction is and ensuring that at the end of the day the company goals are met mm. so yeah it's about making everyone yeah not to say happy but gaining consensus that everyone's happy that okay with a certain direction it's taking because right. like, for example let's say uh, management might say okay i need this done and i need this built within the next two months and you already have a roadmap built for that two months uh, your product managers might not be happy your engineering team might be i'm already working on this so that means i need to drop that or that kind of thing so you might you need to manage those expectations of those stakeholders to ensure that uh, we reach a middle point and the goals of the company is also met mm. this can also extend to things like uh, to other people like maybe customer success team or the finance team that has interactions with the product team to ensure that everyone is on the same page and um, yeah and the 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 morale is uh is maintained mm -hmm. and the company goals is still achieved so i think on a very high level i think no matter what kind of product manager you are that's what you do yeah yeah it's kind of like really making sure that we we agree on how we're going to solve a yes. problem as well yes. right because everything ranging from uh, resource load to mm. Uh, how much Correct. you want to invest, how technical you want to be, how yes. simple you want to be, yes. uh, which one is prioritized, which mm. one is more what's, what's in the MVP, yeah. what's in the next stage, what yeah. we can then go back to the management and say, hey, after yeah. speaking to the team, yeah. we feel that this is what we will first and then we go to the next. So it's, it's also the product person's mm. role to, to maintain this peace among everybody. Yeah. yeah. And you know, yeah. it's, it's, always, it's always that, right? Regardless of, I guess, you know, in terms of, I guess in just in business in general or any kind of organization to be yeah. to be honest it's always a juggle between resources yeah. time and quality yeah. um i'm curious to kind of hear your perspective around how do we actually then uh you know drive innovation mm. when catering to so many you know stakeholders mm. right it is political after mm, all it is yeah right so how, how how do you kind of prioritize how do you drive innovation uh when there are so many so-called you know business demands that comes in as well right? because i've been in your shoes mm. where there are literally really uh, significant deals that you cannot ignore, yeah, right? Yeah. These are what pays the bills, these yeah, are what correct. keeps the lights on, correct. but at the same time, we've got to drive innovation as yes, well. Yes, that's right. right. So how do you drive innovation while cater catering to so many kinds of demands? Mm, right? mm. That's why I think product is also a, a leadership role uh, where you need a good product person doesn't just take instructions and pass it out. And that, that's where the memes all uh, come from. La. You're basically yeah. a glorified uh, uh, the postman or something like that, right? Mm, yes. um, but the, a good product manager for me is somebody who is able to capture uh, the business or entrepreneurial side of things where you can think on behalf of the company uh, on, yes, I understand this goal, I understand your solution, um, but can we make some tweaks to it or can we work out with the other teams and resources to also be able to uh, achieve the exact same goal? You need mm. to think, be able to think from that level right. then you will be able to thrive because um at the end of the day you are the closest to let's say the the, the execution the working group mm. of people uh and as compared to the management for example so you might have better contextual understanding to uh on what the limitations are what the problems are or what the upsides are right so right. so you you need to play that role of making those decisions because uh the business side or the management side may not be able to have that view yeah for yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah i agree because you know in my in, in my previous role i think uh, you know, I was managing the the the, the, the I guess the product for, for a short while before mm. I hit the product was 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 hired, mm. right? And you know, even after that, I was I was telling the team that um, if we continue to not have a stand on how we utilize our resources, mm. especially when it comes to dedicating resources for yeah, innovation, we're yeah. always going to be swayed by the by correct, the, the correct. times, right? So it's really like you said, a leadership role where yeah. can we then let's say like for example, we have a hundred percent of, mm. uh, of mm. our resources, can we always ensure that we have at least you know, I don't know, 20%, 15%, yeah. 30% that is, you know, really blocked off yeah, just, uh, for yeah. innovation to protect our roadmap, right? Because Correct. what is a roadmap if we cannot really uh, deliver it and Correct. we're just going to be swayed by business demands because mm. there's always going to be a new request exactly. and a bigger deal to chase after. Yeah, exactly. Right? And as a product person or a product team, you know best in terms of how to do that. Yeah. And so you need to make the decision for the business to a certain extent. For sure. Because the yeah. business entrusts that upon you yeah. uh, to make those kind of decisions. Yeah, I really like yeah. interacting yeah. With, with, you know, some of some of my my my, my now ex colleagues mm. that, that are able to really explain that concept yeah. to the to the business as well because yeah. if you're not able to communicate uh, which is why I think you know you're, you're it's very apt that you say it's a political role because mm. you need to be able to persuade the other side mm. to say that why this is important and mm. you know the way to do that is to yeah. cut through the noise and yeah. cut through the priorities and be able to communicate very simply correct right uh, yeah so on that I wanted to ask you about um, the next 
industry that you know we, we've covered so many different industries mm. already right so let's talk about oyen which is right pet insurance yeah. uh it might not be a new thing in malaysia right uh but it definitely seemed that way mm. uh you know how does it work in a nutshell right actually it is new uh, yeah. uh before uh, oyen there was just msig that had their pet insurance mm. and then um, basically, I mean, it was there, but I, I guess it wasn't pushed as much and right. I, it didn't have an attraction in that sense. That's why OEN came in and we actually approached uh, MSIG to be a uh, sole distributor of this new pet uh, insurance uh. Uh, kind of uh, product. Right. Uh, and actually, the way the business is positioned at this very moment, mm. uh, as a, I guess, early stage is as an agent. Right. So we are actually a singular agent for to distribute MSIG's pet insurance uh, product to mm. the market and we... Uh, scale it uh, through digital means uh, because I guess previously as a general insurance product in general insurance and product in general that there's not much uh, agents who are keen to push them because of the commission rates and also the value of each particular policy oh yeah for sure right yeah. so so uh, the best way for us the idea was that if you use the, uh, to to scale it in numbers using technology and distribute it online and if you can have an excellent uh, customer experience end to end and you do the startup thing right in terms of pushing and marketing organic paid and all that kind of stuff you will be able to scale the business at a as a single agent at a high level mm. and that's i guess something that we have managed to crack in the past two years right right and in terms of market traction wise uh what are some of the trends that you've, you've you saw is, is it like you know people are welcoming of it what's what's the i guess mm. interest like right mm. yeah uh the interest is there i think especially when you if when we are present and we're present at most pet Expose uh, that mm. happens everywhere. You see people who actually come and uh, learn about it and feel that it's a, a lot of value to them because nowadays more and more people own pets. I guess the idea of Oyen came about when the co-founders uh, were inside uh, during COVID, mm. and uh, you see a lot of people started adopting pets. Yeah, and the pets get sick, and yeah. the bills got really high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm. and the idea of pet insurance just makes sense because you just pay thirty two ringgit a month, and mm. you can cover up to. Uh, a high amount of uh, of your your coverage your your medical expenses uh, through the whole year, mm. right? So uh, as more pet uh, parents exist in the market today, the demand is becoming is is there lah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. But the next thing that is interesting that we did find out was mm. that most people who buy pet insurance mm -hmm. within the age of I guess twenty five to thirty five years old, and this is the first insurance product they have ever bought in their life. Wow! So and not even for themselves. It's not for even for themselves. Wow. Uh, maybe for themselves is the companies or whatnot. Sure, but yeah. but this is the first time they're interacting with words like deductibles, mm. co-payment. Yes pre-existing condition, yeah. congenital diseases. These yeah. are all things that are related to even your personal medical. Precisely. Um, yeah. But this is the first time they learn how that, that happens. And for yeah. us, we felt that there was a kind of a bit of a responsibility on the end to, to educate the market as ah. well, that yeah. uh, this is how things work. Uh, this is, you can't claim because it's like this and it is exactly the same as your human ones. Mm. Uh, and perhaps from there, I think we, we, we did take it upon ourselves to educate them in the product itself as part of the flows and as part of our customer success team. Yeah. And maybe the potential here is that in the future, we may be able to um, sell them other products as well uh, if uh, the demand is there, mm. right? Yeah, so right. That's, that's the idea. I yeah. see. And you know, I, I can only imagine uh, because you know, there's so much, uh, there's, there's quite a bit of education that, it is, that, mm. that is required, yes. which meant to say your team needs to really understand the product as well Correct. to kind of build I guess, you know, the different screens, the messages, the, inter the, the, the user experience as well, right? Yeah. Did you need to also understand, like, you know, how, how, how does it work in terms of, like, pricing yeah. and, you know, uh, how, the, how, do the, how do people even determine the risk factors, right? Because for humans-wise, um, you're talking about um, age, mm, right? Mm. And, you know, you're talking about maybe different uh, right, gender right, right, as right. well. But there are so many different types of pets, mm, you know, mm, is it currently mm. just cats and dogs, for example, right? right. right. Uh, so yeah, that so, study of, you know, really mm. understanding how pet insurance work, right? Mm. What do you learn about it, right? How does it Right, work so for us, it's yeah. not so much on the yeah. underwriting part because yeah. we have an insurer Precisely. and they yeah. have the resources to yeah. do that. For us, as an agent in yeah. this relationship, mm. we, and also as the first mover in the mm. market, we are just uh, kind of working out with our insurer, okay, this is uh, what we think can be done based on our research. This is what the price point we feel the customers will be comfortable, comfortable with. Yeah. And then we start working from mm. there because it mean, it's still very new. And as we go, yeah. we learn from our, um, the, the, our data and the claims over the years. You know, that we can see, we learn more from the data and then we are probably in the future, we will start uh, look at, looking at repricing and, and, all, and all that mm. kind of stuff. But we don't start off as that because there's no data points. Yeah, for we sure. are probably the only 
company in Malaysia that has such data points Point, and every, yeah. on, on all the right. different pets, what they uh, what they're claiming for, how much these bills mm. are, and all that. I mean, I'm sure the vets have it, but it's not centralized. Yeah, for sure. Right. So, so uh, we kept it simple. We started off with three three different uh, plans. Uh, cat has one set of plans and dogs has a, another set of plans and then we mm. started with that first right because uh, there's no way for us to accurately make any assumptions uh, for sure. yeah. from the beginning you so need now past claim data right correct yeah. so with as a new uh business in general there's no past claim data mm. so so within uh two three years so now we are in the process of uh, working out looking at the data and see maybe mm. that could be a fairer repricing to make it cheaper for some customers and all that kind of stuff but uh that's only something that's happening uh right recently. now recently yeah. because mm. we have the data to work right. with yeah are there like different plans for different breeds like there are some currently no currently, currently just no. Ca- yeah. currently our plans are just cats dogs abc plan that kind ah, of stuff okay. uh, but right. uh, we are looking into more accurate and more a fairer pricing would be on age and breed and maybe we are looking that in uh, at that at the future wow yeah but yeah, yeah. uh but that would be better uh, as as the time goes and pets age and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so uh yeah that would be fairer pricing for the customers and also sustainable for the business for sure yeah, yeah. any yeah. you know you must have done a lot of like user research and interviews yeah. as well because so new you needed to gauge yeah. uh, different aspects as well any yeah. kind of like interesting stories that you found from I guess any of your research interviews that you can, or research that you can so share. I think like I mentioned earlier yeah. the, the, the most interesting one was the, the one about people's first insurance, insurance. Uh, yeah. and, and uh, the everything that they learned from the terminologies and all mm. that and we managed to kind of add value to them in that and right. that was very meaningful for me right. Um, but yeah, I think that's the main one. Got yeah, it. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of like, as you know, I guess features that you mm. built for, yeah, uh, for 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 Oyen, right? Mm. Because you know, uh, I I follow you on LinkedIn as mm. well, and I mm. saw that uh, there was some attempt to kind of you know put in AI as well, yeah. you know, put in different kinds of uh, you yeah. know features that will supercharge the the platform to make yeah. it easier as well, yeah. right? You know, any mm. I guess any the most interesting feature that we built for for Oyen perhaps. Yes, so I think I think there's one more area that Oyen works on that is very heavily seventy percent of probably more of our work that I didn't cover mm. because we yeah. don't just sell insurance, yeah. we process the claims as well, mm. and that is. Uh, and in fact, the reason why we do that is because we want to control the customer experience. Yeah. Because uh, mm. from what we know from uh, people uh, outside, when you buy insurance, it's very hard. When you want to claim, there's a thick stack of papers and yeah. then you go through your agent and it takes a long time to get paid out and all that. So we want to solve that problem as well. That's why we have a huge claim team in, in uh, OEN that does just that, mm. call up customers, make sure that we kind of advocate on their behalf for the uh, to approve their claims, so on and so forth. So to keep them very to feel, make them feel like, yeah, they're really cared for and we're really helping you. Mm. And that's a very different insurance experience that they can get anywhere else. Yeah. And that is, to be honest, our value proposition. It's not so much the pet thing. It's mostly the, uh, customer, the uh, customer experience yeah. with insurance that we want to change. Yeah. Right? Uh, mm. And with that uh, come, uh, uh, I guess, a lot of uh, operational and administrative uh, yeah. problems to solve in terms of making sure that this process is optimized. Yeah. Because right? it's very personalized, right? And when yes. it comes to personalization and the personal touch, it's always quite high yes. demand. Uh, yeah. So they, of course, yeah. they have to be all pet owners and can actually be able to uh, kind of sympathize yeah. with yeah. the yeah. customers and all that. But mm. other than that, also with the claim, with the, with the sales that are coming in, with us ah. growing, the amount of claims is also increasing because pet insurance is a very high frequency claims kind of insurance mm. as compared to, for example, car or whatnot. Or, right. Um, or even critical illness, you only probably, critical illness, you probably claim once in your life because that's kind of yeah. how it works. Yeah. Um, but pet, we have many frequency. Mm. As the more customers you have, the more you need to solve. Yeah. And how do we do that as a startup without hiring another 100 claims processes, yeah. right? Yeah. So uh, that was, that, as a product team, that's also, to be honest, half my responsibility is to figure out the internal operations, mm-hmm. how to automate it, yeah. how to make it simpler and faster on the end as well. And one of, as you mentioned, one of the, the features that we built recently was an AI Assessor, because uh, they would call me an AI geek or completely obsessed with this generative AI thing in, in, in the company, but I'm not apologetic of that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I was trying to see why we can use that. Because the moment um, generative AI came in, uh, there's so many possibilities. Uh, you no longer need to build a lot of things from scratch in terms of code as well. It's a prompt to solve most problems. Uh, and one of the things I saw can be done is uh, one the complaints that came in from our claims team was that uh, there are a lot of people who just type their claims and 
it's like uh, it's, there's no quality is low. So what happens right. is they need to call back, clarify, what do you mean? Uh, and yeah. then send only they send to the insurer and uh, order, and that adds the turnaround time by two or three days. Oh wow! Which makes it hard. A lot of difference. Yeah, yeah. So it makes it hard for the customer because I've sent in like last week and then you haven't approved it, but mm-hmm. then it goes back and forth a lot. We need to clarify, and uh, when it's uh, when there's a lot of this as well, then of course the backlog will grow. Right. Uh, so my issue was how do we solve this issue? Uh, to mention that quality come in uh, is at least on par. Uh, it makes sense at the very least. Uh, then they don't have to go back and forth, and they can kind of just move on with the process, right? Mm. So I felt that the the, the one way to do it without uh, abusing AI or people the the risk of AI is always uh, to me was uh, hallucination. They will just write things. So I don't want. AI to write claims, of course, because yep. they might go off chart. But what AI can do, a large language models, LLMs itself, is about language. Yes. At least they can read Understand. what you're yeah. writing yeah. Uh, in relation to, let's say, this is a diagnosis, this is what doctor says, this is what the cause. Does it make sense? Yes, no. No, then we don't allow them to submit. Uh, then give them feedback to improve it before we allow them to send. Mm. Uh, as simple as that. It's a very simple application of, of, uh, yeah. of AI. Uh, and with that, instantly we saw uh, the amount of uh, the bad quality uh, claims coming in reduced significantly, uh, mm. and then they are able to move on with things faster. And that's just one of the many things that we are trying to do with AI uh, as well. And because I mean, and, and another thing that I can think of is as uh, as well to simple application is when they process. Uh, there's a these are the medications, whatever symptoms and all that. I I just take on their dashboard this diagnosis and generate using um, AI some of the roughly. What usually what are the symptoms, what are the treatment, what are the medications for them to quickly just eye and see if it makes sense and it's correct yeah. and then they can just for submit. Sure, sure. So rather than call, uh, rather than uh, taking the effort to call up our yeah. own internal vet consultant just to ask about flu and fever, they can do that really quickly. Mm. Right? So yeah. so uh, yeah, some of the things that I do is, is that. Yeah, that's yeah. really interesting yeah. because uh, we work with uh, one of the, the one of the insurance client as yeah. well, right? And yeah. and you know one of the we needed to understand what the uh, claim processor needed to do. Yeah, as well. yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the biggest challenge when we hear on the ground is really that these claim processors mm. they needed to be medically uh, yeah. knowledge savvy. Yeah. And that's not easy. Yeah. Right. So having that kind of like you know uh, borrowing the term from 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 Microsoft, having that co-pilot, mm. um, it's really really very helpful. Mm, right? Exactly. Uh, at least as the first first line of guide, Correct. you know, first. Correct. and things like that yes. right you know i was on a panel uh fortunate to, enough to be invited on on a panel on on uh, the application of hr uh, mm. ai in, in, in hr mm. uh and one of the question that was asked right uh was hey you know with with chat gpt coming coming into play mm. i can actually almost replace all my junior developers it's true right yeah uh so that can be scary and exciting at the same time mm. so i was wondering what since you mentioned that you are a, you you are an AI geek and unapologetically so, mm. what are some of the I guess tech development that that you know that excites you you know currently right? Perhaps this was further use cases of AI or maybe mm. some something else right? It's definitely yeah. generative AI and all the potential yeah. there is yeah. in that space to reduce the amount of uh, menial work to be done not just by operational people but also. Honestly, programmers, like you mentioned junior programmers, a lot of my junior programmers who are like AI grads and all that, they get very freaked out because recently we also used OpenAI's API to uh, do fine-tuning on our models for exactly mm. this use case because to, to make sure now that we have a lot, so how do we make it smarter uh, mm. without increasing the cost? So, and usually they said fine-tuning will take a long time and a high cost using mm. their own GPUs and all that, but it was one single API call to OpenAI at this point <laughs> of time and then we took... 20 minutes yeah. uh, and, and, and uh, it worked yeah. uh, and it blew their minds uh, yeah. but, and, and that, that's amazing so we, we continue to do this and for them to me I, I, what I realised is now that these things that seems very labour intensive is done by is able to be done by AI yeah. they are now able to focus on the high level strategic thinking kind of thing on mm. how do we structure the architecture to, that allows to, for this okay you can generate the codes you can, you can uh, do the execution of the codes uh, using AI but that there it the changes process, how they yeah. think about uh, yeah how to organize it in yeah. a way because uh, AI can mm. do it so it's it's good and bad and I mean it's not it's not bad I don't see any downside to that because now they are they are focusing on more high value items mm. uh, that they can think about at a very young age because uh, otherwise as a junior developer you're probably there just doing that yeah, right yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. so so that's I it's like any other innovations you you adapt and you get smarter and you move up the value chain. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because yeah. I, you know, when as you as you're talking about that, right? Yeah. I, I, 
I remember the <laughs> the naive conversation that I had during my the early early stage of my career, and obviously the the, the conversation that we have among fresh grads, right? Because yeah. I was part of a management trainee program. Yeah, yeah. There yeah. were a batch of us, twenty over of us, right? And if you ask any of them, right? Back then, mm. we will all tell you like, oh, we want to do like very strategic work. Mm. We want to create impact mm. and so on mm. and so forth. Mm. And it was probably nearly impossible at that point of time yeah. because you needed to learn the ropes. Correct. And you know, the way, the opportunity that you have to be trained on strategic matters mm. are far and few between, Correct. right? There's only one position in that three, four person strategy team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And now we're talking about like, hey, if you're able to really generate a, a, a set of really clean and you know executable code mm. within five minutes, mm. then can we not think about bigger problems Correct. and harder problems exactly. to solve, right? Yeah. That's, that's really amazing yeah. to me. It's to your chance to now be creative and innovative because you finally have the space to do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And imagine the compounding yeah. effect of that when more people can think about strategic things and let AI do the small things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I, I, yeah. I, I prefer the optimistic uh, lens to this because I was thinking around, uh, I was listening to this podcast on, on, uh, on, on AI and obviously there are some uh, different different opinion mm. on it, right? More, mm. you know, rightfully so, right? Mm. More conservative, more uh, worrying because they were worrying about how generative AI uh, is just gonna create a lot of, uh, I guess, you know, fake news as well. True. Because yeah. you can just generate yeah. so much content mm. uh, that are fake mm. and put it out. Yeah. And you know, this this term around. Uh, the term that was used was really that we might have to declare bankruptcy on in, on the internet because we cannot we can no longer discern what is real and what is not because of the amount of uh, you know fake information that can be that can be put on there. Uh, but I, I I I tend to believe that mm. uh, you know yes that could be true that is a possibility may not mm. deny it. Mm. But on the flip side, uh, we are we also have uh, uh, enough good in humanity to be able to find. Uh, to, to develop tools yeah. to combat that as well. Yeah, correct, right? correct. Because, you know, if you can find use cases for that, I can find use cases on yeah. how we can actually exactly. read those out yeah. uh, at the same speed, if not faster than the, the speed that you put out as well. Correct. Right? I mean, uh, this always happens to any kind of drastic innovation in humanity. I mean, back to my time tracking thing earlier, so people will say, oh, yeah, but then they can do it online anywhere. Yeah. Same thing, if you use physical paper, there is ways to go around it. I yeah. mean, there's pros and cons to everything is also about how you then strike a balance on how you mm. uh, use or you, 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 you tap on the good of these new innovations rather than focusing on what is uh, bad about it because there's always going to be something when there's a powerful tool out there there's always somebody who's going to use it for evil or yeah. bad use cases social media is a good example correct right? and we yeah. have survived humanity for ages i mean the, one of my favorite examples when it comes to innovation is the newspaper and previously people were just scared about how it destroys social interaction in public transport <laughs> uh we, and that was during the invention of the printing press right right and look at where it we are it will poison we, the mind as well correct because, right it correct. will poison the mind you know like people are not going to talk to each other anymore correct so mm -hmm. I don't think this is very different from those conversations because people yeah. of course some people will be a bit more wary of things but mm. as humans it's really about striking that balance and then using the best out of those tools and move on and, in, and, and progress from there that's just progress yeah yeah, yeah, I, yeah, agree. yeah. I mean yeah. even if in the apocalyptic uh, version of that of, yeah. of, of, of that person's mind right I'm yeah. thinking then on, on the positive side, the silver lining to that perhaps is really that we, us as a species will then need to evolve in such a way that uh, we will value the, the genuity so much more. Mm, we correct. will find ways to really preserve that so much more harder than we are today. Yeah. Because we take things for granted, right? Human yeah. connection for granted. Yeah. And you know, you, we can't deny that there are some deterioration when it comes to quality of connection. But I do think that uh, there's, there's, there's just a lot of optimism around uh, creating genuine uh, innovation that are for good mm, as well. So, mm. yeah. and But I think, yeah. I mean, for me, sometimes people say it's deterioration, but yeah. it could just be evolution. Mm -hmm. And for most cases, that's true. Yeah. Uh, I mean... Talk to me a little bit about that. What do you mean by uh, evolution? Because, you know, everything seems to be doom and gloom, right? So in, 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 in your mean, lens of evolution, what's, what, what, what does that look like? Yeah. Deterioration of communication. I mean, during the times of, I don't know, ICQ, people are like, oh, now people only talks. On internet, they only want to type. Yeah. Or doing SMS. Now yeah. we text. We don't talk anymore. Yeah. 
does it make the quality of communication a lot less nowadays? No, but for the, for the generation, uh, at that point of time, it was our mainstream and yeah. it was okay and it works and we connected with people just fine, just a bit differently from the previous generations. So I see it as an evolution, but not mm. a deterioration. Right. Right. Got so this, in the same way, this applies. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds, and you know, on a personal level, you know, this is why I said it's going to be fun because we, <laughs> we kind of rift, rift off uh, yeah. you know, different, yeah. different angles of you know, that one question, right? So on a personal angle, uh, because you are, you know, it, it seems like you embody this really, uh, you know, optimism, op- optimist lens and, you know, really just exploring right? because you love solving problems. You and I well, are both parents, but you know, your, your child yeah. is a bit older. Uh, you know, you're you're probably not gonna be shying away from providing him as, as much much yeah. exposure as as, yeah. as as you can. Mm. You know, what do you think about screen time for child development? Do you also think that it's an evolution? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, I don't I don't see it any differently from all the yeah. other um, interactions we had. Even when we were younger, uh, we were watching a lot of TV, and people were like, and our parents were like, "Yeah, your I don't know, your brains will spoil or whatever that kind of yeah. stuff." Fine. I mean, it's it's just really a different mode, different mode of uh, communication or learning, right? In mm. fact, to me, uh, I I don't limit at all uh, screen time uh, uh, for my child, but what I do, as I mentioned, you need to basically harness the good of it. So right. how do you do it? Be intentional uh, about it, right? Correct. Be intentional about it. I mean, first of all. Practically even, uh, my son doesn't have such a long attention span, he won't be able to sit there for hours. Mm. That's probably my luck, so he, he won't last very long. But number two, I, what I do is that uh, there are already tools available, there's already tech available, uh, such as, I don't, know, I don't think many parents know about YouTube Kids. Mm. In YouTube Kids, you can whitelist channels, and right. only the good channels, or mm. the things you want your, pa- your, your kids to see, because otherwise YouTube is a very scary place. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it will bring you to places that yeah. you never know exist. Yeah. But even with, then, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, some, some content can masquerade around if you don't whitelist. Correct. Yeah. But I think YouTube Kids does it, does it quite well. And yeah. for example, for me, I would just choose mainstream things like, okay, let's say Sashimi Street, mm. Ping Fong, or whatever, or things that are very educational in that sense. Yeah. And it will just loop around those channels and those uh, uh, areas right. uh, that are educational to a certain extent. And yeah. for me, even uh, to my surprise, before my son even went to daycare, his uh, first few sentences and all that, I'm very confident, <laughs> is, is learned from some of those content. And uh-huh. I don't see any downsides there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's wrong if they can learn something new and string good sentences together? Mm. Even right now, uh, what my, my current strategy is because uh, um, we don't really speak a lot of Mandarin at home and we want uh-huh. him to learn Mandarin. So now his YouTube kids is entirely in Mandarin, ah. no matter what he clicks. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and I think he's picking up some of those as well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, it's about how you harness the good of technology. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's really interesting because yeah. we have similar problems as well not not problem but i guess you know set up as well because yeah. i i'm able to speak mandarin read mandarin same, and, and all same, that, right yeah. my wife doesn't similar problem yeah, yeah yeah right and we're concerned about around like whether he'll be able to come to pick up mandarin because we don't speak it at home yeah yeah correct right? so that's a very yeah, interesting yeah. Uh, yeah. uh use case you just put put up there so yeah. did, did you do you see him using more uh you know mandarin words or um, he doesn't use it, but he definitely understands, understands it. it. So, of uh, course, mm-hmm. he goes to daycare and there are other kids that are from maybe uh, China or Taiwan or whatnot. Ah, okay. They they will speak to each other in their own languages and it flows. It's incredible. Nice. Like somebody will speak in Mandarin, he replies in English, English. and he replies in Mandarin. I'm like, oh, it's working. You're not seeing this. <laughs> I You're see not seeing the blur face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, they, are, they are communicating well but in different languages. But I mean, I guess baby steps, uh, they yeah, get yeah. there um, with more education. But yeah, you can use technology for very good use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, you know, that's, that, that's really interesting because I think we are also kind of like navigating, uh, you know, screen time as well. Mm. And um, I, I, I do agree that because I want him to learn about coding. Mm. And what is coding without a screen? You need a screen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you need a screen, right? There's, there's no two ways mm. about it. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I also want him to kind of learn more about how things work as well because I think that Correct. Is, that's a little bit lost. To, yes. Uh, to, in all fairness, I think that's a little bit lost because we get it easy, right? Mm. Everything just works. Mm. Uh, so I want him to kind of really have that curiosity mm. on, on, on how things work mm. as well. And I think that there's no better form than... Yes, experiential learning, mm. but also, you know, you know, videos that explain yeah, how things correct, work. Correct. They, they are so good at the graphics nowadays. Correct, exactly. To be able to really just decompose, you, you're not going to let your kid to kind of decompose yeah, things yeah. easily, right? Yeah. Um, not all the time at correct. the very least. So I really, really agree yeah. with you. I think recently he learned how viruses spread and I don't think oh, I, wow. could, I could explain it better yeah. than graphic visualizations examples. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but to be honest, back to that topic, I feel like yeah. it's... People are overemphasizing on this whole screen time thing as parents, uh-huh. and I think really you can if you look at it just like it's it's another medium of communication. It's like books, it's mm-hmm. like 
picture books yeah. and their screen and yeah. there are all options for you to educate your yeah. children there's no difference and the overemphasis on the screen thing i think really takes the yeah. positives out of it right 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 yeah i guess right now i think okay i don't know whether it's the algorithm because yeah uh, but it's all around like uh the i i guess the possibility of this person having short attention span adhd whatever you call it right yeah but those are inherent though yeah so that's i guess again to me it's it, if used correctly yeah yeah you can't be lazy about it. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's, exactly. that's really... I, if there's anything that I learned about it, right? Um, even at work, for example, for yourself, for yeah. example, right? Your own social media con- yeah. uh, consumption, yeah. your own, how you spend your time. Yeah. You cannot be lazy about it anymore, mm. right? Mm. It's very painful. Yeah. But you cannot afford to be lazy because otherwise, it will just go on like and that. And it will show. Yeah. Like, you can see people's email that's written by ChatGPT and they didn't edit it. <laughs> you know. You know one. Uh, and, sure. and, yeah. and that's to your detriment, right? It's really okay. how you use it. So we, I also write things or whatever to start a first draft yeah. by just getting a first draft from ChatGPT or ideas and all that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. then I work with it and use it to, to make it better or inspire myself to write a fresh thing myself, right? So it's how you use it. Mm. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, thanks, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I, think, I think it's really uh, you know, uh, insightful for me as a, as a, as a parent as well. Um, I'm, we're coming up to perhaps maybe uh, you know the, the last section, right? And I wanted to really do this fun one. <laughs> uh, I tried different versions of it, right. you know, talking about emulation, learning from everybody. This is from Tim Ferriss. Uh. Uh, he asked, like, you know, really high-level guests in terms of, you know, if you if you could have a billboard, what would it say? But mm. hey, we're in the tech space. Yeah, I'm not yeah. gonna do that. I wanna say, if you could insert an Easter egg. <laughs> into the most commonly used startup tool, like for example, like Slack or whatever it is, right? And, and when they find something, things and they open it, it's a, an image or a message. Uh, what would you have it say, you know? I don't think mine is very original, but one I really like mm. uh, that I've seen somewhere, another version of this is, um, yeah. uh, but I think Google Calendar or, 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 or Microsoft Teams, uh, to be honest, I think this needs to be implemented in big organizations yeah. where they value the amount of how much this meeting costs by taking the average, everyone's hourly rates mm. who is invited in a meeting it's a times the amount yeah. of, uh, of, of time you have there. Yeah. And then you think about, uh, about uh, inviting another 30 people in a single meeting for two hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I really love that. I, I, that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that a real thing? Yeah, it is. I it's thought on, it was just some Shopify. kind of concept. Is yeah, it? yeah, it's on Shopify. It's so, a plugin, okay. So, uh, uh, I don't think it's a plugin, but sh- what happened was Shopify, uh, they're so tired of their internal meetings, yeah, they're yeah, so yeah, expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, their own, their own team wrote, Build one. That's cool. wrote something That's cool. for their internal team to, 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 to show them how much it costs. It costs, yes. It's, so it's satisfying. a real thing. Yeah, 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 it's a real thing, and apparently, you know, I just read this. I think I think it was yesterday or t- this morning that it has dramatically decreased yes. the amount of meetings. That is such a pain point. I mean, from someone who's from a big corporate last time, this is yeah. so satisfying to hear. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so your Easter egg would be that you know you probably go to everybody's productivity tool, and every time they click on the create meeting button, and then you add people, and then the cost just goes up. <laughs> And depending on their level and seniority, it goes. It, it changes the algorithms as well. That would be hilarious. That would be, be amazing. Uh, <laughs> I, can al- <laughs> I can also think about very cheeky ways to use this. It's like, let me just create a meeting between me and the CEO and see what the cost oh is. Oh my. <laughs> yeah, and then they will scare you away from They me. will scare you away <laughs> from <laughs> And it's like, oh my goodness, I'm not paid enough to have this meeting. <laughs> <laughs> But that's really fun though, yeah. uh, you know, to be able to really have Oh, that. another one yeah. I can think of yeah. is uh, people who have their, what you call that, their cameras off during meetings. Yeah. To, if there's Google, Google Meet function to force on somebody's camera, that would be amazing. Wow. <laughs> like, at least let them have a warning. You, 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 I mean, Three, okay. two, one. <laughs> it's happening. Run, run and get a shirt. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, that, that irks me a bit. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> it's, 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 you know, I, I came from, it used to be that, I think in 2020 or 2019. Yeah, COVID uh, times. Uh, there was a time where, even before that, right, people really don't have their camera on. <laughs> yeah, really. 
And I went yeah, into yeah. Uh, my, my startup and I think we really wanted to kind of build the connection with people mm. and we, mm. we, we had that team, right? So we kind of instilled this culture um, unintentionally or intentionally sometimes. And you know, people by default until today, eh, yeah. I'll have my camera on. Correct, correct. I'll, I'm just gonna assume my camera is gonna be yeah. on. Yeah, during the COVID times, it's something we forced in DGX as well. Uh, right. Whatever the meeting is, turn on your cameras. We need that connection because it was COVID as well. There was For no sure. actual yeah. collaborative kind of experience yeah. other than that. So anytime I go to another call, maybe external meeting, when everyone is off, it just feels weird for me. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I learned this. <laughs> I learned this line from my ex CEO, and she's she's always gonna be like, oh. Um, I'm, I'm not sure whether it's uh, my, my side, but I can't seem to see your camera. Oh, <laughs> the, the passive-aggressive one, nice, nice, nice. Uh, not really, <laughs> but, but it's kind of like, like trying to tell the other party, like, hey, you know, turn it on. Turn it on, man. I have mine on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. let's have that. Let's have that connection. Correct, la. correct. I mean, you don't have to practice that, but to me, the first meeting, come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like I don't even know what you look like. I don't even know what you yeah, look yeah, like yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. Correct, if you can yeah. and you are in a position to, to, to switch it on, switch mm, it on, right? Mm. Oh, that'll be that. Yeah, <laughs> that'll be hilarious. That'll be a fun one. Oh, Just give you five, yeah. three seconds to do whatever you need. It's gonna turn on. <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give you five, lah. I'll, okay, la, I'll give you five. I'll give you five seconds, enough, like five, four, three, two, one. It's kind of like your 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 laptop's applying an update, right? Yeah, yeah, it gives yeah. you like what fifty nine seconds. Your laptop will restart in fifty nine, fifty eight. <laughs> and then the turn off button is disabled. Yeah, for sure. There's no turn off. Ah, nice. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that would be cool. <laughs> you know, uh, Jofan, thank you so much for 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 being on the show. I had really really a lot of fun. Uh, having a chat with you uh, and you know sincerely appreciate you taking time out of a busy schedule yeah no worries thanks for inviting me this was fun